You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and... 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Go Wild. Go Wild is the fastest growing social media application for outdoor enthusiasts, and it's designed by outdoor enthusiasts. If you want more information, visit Google Play Store and download the app or visit timetogowild.com. Let's get outside. It's time to go wild. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles hunting podcast brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and on this podcast, you will find tons of relevant information that will help you become more successful in the field. You'll hear product information directly from the manufacturer and success stories from guys and gals just like you. Sit back, relax, and pour a stiff drink. This episode of the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast starts right now. All righty, everybody. Happy Friday. Hopefully everyone had a happy new year, had a, a good week, a uh, short week for me. And this entire week has been preparation for next week, which is the ATA show. Uh, myself and Garrett Prawl of the DIY Sportsman are going to be heading to Louisville, Kentucky, uh, along with my buddy Ryan Iberg, and we are going to be covering the ATA show, and we're going to be putting out a ton of content via podcasts on this particular feed for you guys covering the ATA show. We're going to talk about kind of like what's popping off, what's new, new companies, new products, uh, any any cool new innovation technology. You know, we'll talk about any items that we think we can't live without. And also on the business side of things, I have a lot of meetings at the ATA show about, long story short, looking for additional partners for the Sportsman's Nation and for the Nine Finger Chronicles and just continuing to uh, build relationships and make new relationships. Uh, It's just a a really good concentration of everybody in the industry that I need to meet with. And so I I have a lot of uh, work meetings there as well. And the cool thing about the ATA show is not only meeting new people, but getting the chance to catch up with old friends. So, um, 
you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of things going on. And, and in the past, the ATA show was kind of uh, a fun trip for me right and it's still going to be fun but this year there's a lot more focus on the business aspect for me specifically for uh, the sportsman's nation so hopefully some good things come from that show and it allows me to you know put a stronger uh, foothold on what I'm already doing and just continue to grow and put out better content more content man if you hear this, there's going to be rumblings of a film series coming to the Sportsman's Nation. And I've already been talking with uh, a camera guy, an editor, a producer, a film producer about some of the content that I, I want to put out, some short films. And I think it's, it's going to turn out to be pretty awesome. Some really high quality uh, footage, high quality films. And uh, I think that's going to be like a next kind of... Uh, you know, horizontal step in all of this, right? Not just podcasts, but start getting into other things as well. And I've always wanted to like help assist, you know, be, I guess it would be produce short films and awesome footage and stuff like that, because I kind of grew up on a national geographics. I can remember on Sunday nights, five, six, seven o'clock, my dad would cook a, uh, or make a big bowl of popcorn and me and my brother and my dad would sit down and watch National Geographic's and you know all the awesome footage all the the places and adventures that these guys would go on and and uh, that kind of uh, stuck with me and it's something that I want to do in the in the realm of hunting and, and fishing and out, all types of outdoor activities so um, look for a film series to come to the Sportsman's Nation and uh, yeah, so ATA next week, a lot of uh, big things going on from the business standpoint. And speaking of ATA, right, it's a whole bunch of new products and uh, new companies and whatnot. And today we're going to be talking with a relatively new company. I think they've been out about three years. We're going to be talking to David Strandberg of NUMA. And NUMA is a uh, outdoor clothing gear company, and uh, they're direct to consumer. And today he's going to talk about how the uh, company was started, the product lineup, you know, the testing, the innovation, uh, kind of how the company got its start and where they're going. So it's uh, it's a, just a, a great story about how to build a company, how to test it how to you know release products and he, he gives some insight into their product line as well so just a, another really cool uh, podcast that gets you familiar with a company that you may not be familiar with and uh, you know the reason I like doing some of these some of these podcasts is because there's a lot of really awesome gear out there not necessarily just like camo but tons of great hunting content or hunting gear out there that may not get its time in the spotlight because they're smaller and they don't have uh you know they don't have the the budget to to put themselves in a spotlight so it's always nice to give a company like that uh, a little you know a little time in the spotlight and that's what i feel like i'm doing here today's commercial ozonics guys i tell you what man you need to go, just go to ozonicshunting.com. Check out the ins and outs of what they're currently offering. Ozonics is, is the 
ozone product that you need to have. Uh, and I use mine more than just in the tree stand. I use mine at home as well to uh, dry wash uh, my, my hunting clothes after a hunt or before a hunt. And really, I feel it, it increases the, the length, the life of your product because you're washing it less right? I think it, during the hunting season, I'm only watching this year. I only washed my clothes maybe two or three times, uh, the entire season. So, uh, take a look at that. Ozonicshunting.com, read up, do some research. It may be a, a pretty big upfront expense, but long-term it's something that will pay off immensely. And I strongly believe in that. So, uh, ozonicshunting.com. Now, I've talked too much. I've hoard out. Let's get into today's gear podcast with David Strandberg of NUMA. All right. On the phone with me right now from NUMA, David Strandberg. How you doing, man? Good, Dan. Appreciate you having me. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's funny because we've been trying to make this podcast uh, happen for, I, it seems like a year, maybe even longer. It's taken a little bit of time, yes. yeah. And I think I'll accept responsibility for that one. Yeah, but it's it's like I said, it's great to be here, and I think it's worth or it was worth the wait. Yeah, absolutely. Because uh, Numa is one of those companies. I'm a huge supporter of direct to uh, direct to consumer companies, and uh, as is Numa. And I once I saw your product line, I was I became very intrigued about it and wanted to learn more about it. So I reached out to the company, got a hold of you, and finally we're making this happen. But before we get yep. into the meat and potatoes of NUMA, what it's all about, why don't you talk to us a little bit about what you do at NUMA and uh, talk a little bit about maybe some of your daily activities? But I could... <laughs> You got the next three hours. <laughs> you know, it's just it's just all it just goes hand in hand with a young company who's, you know, making every effort to grow and being successful at it. Um, I think one of the things that everybody connected with Numa does is wear a lot of different hats. So originally, I joined. Uh, Numa before there was a Numa. Uh, Scott Schultz, who was the founder, who is the founder and CEO of Numa, was looking for somebody to help him create and launch a new hunting apparel brand. And so a mutual friend got us in touch with each other, and everything seemed to align at that point. I heard Scott's vision. He knew my background from a marketing standpoint and everything just seemed to fall into place. So originally what I was hired to be is vice president of marketing for Numa, but that has since turned into a, a position where not only do I oversee marketing for the company, but I also work very closely with our design team, with our operations folks, with uh, our customer service team, everybody in shipping. It's all connected. 
And so my responsibilities really cut across all of those areas that I mentioned, including, as you were talking about at the beginning, e-commerce, you have to have somebody that uh, keeps the keeps the heartbeat going on the website. So that's also uh, my responsibility as well. Gotcha. Yeah, especially, you know, with a new company, probably uh, more work to be done than there are workers. And I'm feeling that right now with the Sportsman's Nation podcast network that <laughs> that there's so much work to do and there's not enough people to do it that there's times where the work kind of snowballs and there's frustration. And but I'm a I'm a firm believer that with frustration uh, comes the best possible growth. So uh, I'm you know not only not only am I excited for my own company, but I'm excited for any brand new company because I think that's when the best ideas happen. Well, you know, when, when you're smaller, when uh, you find yourself having to do a lot more with less. And if you're, if you're in that position, the ideas that you have, whether that's for the apparel that you make or how you get the word out, about your brand, uh, just communications at every touch point, every experience that you provide, you've got to do it smarter than the other guy. And it's, it's just important for growing the brand. And frankly, it can be important for, for your survival. So we've been... <laughs> You know, we've been very fortunate to have a group of hunters come to us, visit the site, have communication with us, and become customers. And and it's so great having those customers tell other hunters about, about NUMA. So word of mouth is also critical. So everything we do to make that experience fantastic for our customer, they're going to pass that along to their friends. It, you know, it's just, it's the way enthusiast activities work. You know, and I don't care if you're a quilter or if you're a hunter, you're passionate about what you do and you share your experiences. And so Word of mouth is critical to us. It's critical to every business. But everything that we can do, like I said, to make that experience the best that it can possibly be, that word of mouth will be great and will continue to grow. Right. All right. So kind of going all the way back to beginning now. Um, yeah. You know, Scott had this idea of he wanted to start a, a new a, a new clothing line, a new hunting line of clothing, and yeah. you know, so Numa was born. But kind of going back, do you know why they wanted to go with a direct to consumer type um, company setup when they already had a uh, you know like a uh, a distribution chain with some of the other products that they that they had out. Yeah, you know, one of the things that you can look at today, as a matter of fact, uh, it was 
believe it was Google who just uh, Google Analytics who just came out with a report that said this holiday season there was a hundred and twenty four billion dollars worth of purchases made online, which is a fourteen percent uh, growth rate over a year ago. It was, you know, and it was a, it was a pretty decent year for retailers too. They grew at about two and two and a half percent versus a year ago. But you look at that number, one hundred twenty-four billion. It gives you an indication of where shopping is is going. It's it's going online now. We need the the country, the industry. We need retailers, okay, brick and mortar retailers. But purchasing online, particularly apparel, is something that people are becoming more and more comfortable with. You're always going to have people who, you know, want to touch and feel and try on a product before it's purchased, and that's a great thing for for them to be able to shop at retail. But there's also a group of people who are very educated about fabrics and membranes. Now I'm starting to talk about hunting in particular. And when you mention, you know, merino wool, the weight of it, people have an understanding of what that's going to be. And they feel confident in their ability to make that purchase. sight unseen, except for the images they may have seen on the website, for example. So there's a high degree of confidence uh, to buy apparel online. Now, the other thing, though, there is always going to be situations with customers where there is going to be a wrong fit or, hey, I didn't know that the fabric was going to be this. They can send it back. And we make that process easy by paying for shipping for for them to return that product if it's not right. So we try to make the shopping experience as easy as possible. And we work with customers until we get that product right, we get the fit right. And like I said, it go, it comes right down to having that positive experience. Right, right. So as the, as the company, you know, as the company starts to, to be created, starts to be born, they understand it's going to be a direct-to-consumer type of company. So yep. now what kind, I mean, from, from conception, did they always think it was going to be this, this type of um, product? And what I mean by that is something – typically on the higher end of the price range, but also higher quality of product. Um, you know, a lot of, a lot of these companies nowadays are, no one seems to play in the middle anymore. They either try to, they're either going high or they're either going low to try to, you know, hit, you know, the two different consumer types. Um, so what kind of conversations were had of what direction the company was going to go as far as the quality of materials were concerned? Well, for, can I go back a little bit further in the discussion? Absolutely. Okay. I, and this all comes down to the decision to go e-commerce. That when the 
when the decision was made to go and sell our gear exclusively online, we made a big decision to control our own destiny by doing that. We weren't going to rely on the success of a retailer to make us successful. Now, many companies have done great with that approach. We just didn't want to go that route because, again, we saw which way the market was heading and where an opportunity existed for us to experience the kind of growth that we wanted uh, out of out of the brand and out of the company. So one of the, by controlling our own destiny, that allowed us to design the kind of gear that was going to help our customers during their hunts. We weren't going to be told by a retailer, hey, get rid of those pockets, change that zipper, and let's lower the price point by $50 or $100. By going e-commerce, we were able to put together the kind of gear that was going to serve our customers in a way that would exceed their expectations. So that was real critical. Now getting down to, you know, your question about materials and, and quality, that goes hand in hand with designing gear the way, the way that uh, we felt it should be made. We didn't have anybody looking over our shoulder and telling us that fabric is too expensive or having those waterproof YKK zippers, it's, it's overkill. Let's, let's take, let's take that down. So that, those were all really critical factors in making the decision to go to e-commerce and how we operate within the e-commerce environment. Gotcha. So it sounds to me like it, it, from the very beginning, it was all about quality, putting out a, a high quality product first and foremost, and then, you know, and then making the price point off of that. Yes. Okay. All right. So, yeah, so absolutely. And you made the comment about nobody seems to want to be in the middle. And I think there's great truth to that. And it's the old expression, what happens to the possum who's in the middle of the road? You know, you get killed, right? So, the thing about hunting apparel is that there truly is an opportunity for hunters to get apparel that they want to get. And if that means that they don't want to invest a lot of money in it, there are brands for that. If they want, it, if they want the latest in high-performance fabrics and components, there's the, there are brands that deliver that. So choice for for the hunter probably has never been greater than it is right now. And they benefit from that. Yeah, I agree 100%. Um, so with all that said then, now you kind of have an idea what's going to be produced, what's going to be made, you know, how do you guys go about then from at the very beginning designing specific garments, coming up with what you want to introduce 
you know, right off, you know, right off the bat to the consumers, the, you know, the first line of clothing that you're going to market to sell. And then maybe talk a little bit about, you know, the, the feedback that you got initially that maybe led to you guys making changes right off the bat. Sure. The, uh, you know, the best innovations, the best decisions regarding what gear to make, those those come about because they solve a specific problem or enhance an experience for the hunter. And so when we every every product that we have has got to have a reason for being. So that's that's the first thing. You know, what role is this product going to have in a hunter's experience in the field? And then from there, we make the decision. And as a young company, we have to be careful about the number of products that that we do make because every dollar is precious, right? Excuse me. And we want to make sure that we are coming out with a product line that is going to deliver that quality experience for our customers. So the first year we really did have to take a look at some basics that would serve them well in the field and give us a real strong start from a company standpoint. And so we wanted to make sure that we were covered off with everything from base layers uh, which we did with the Iconics base layer, as well as a uh, merino wool offering. We had a mid-layer, and then we had two suits. Uh, we also had a pair of lightweight pants that were just the tenacity pant, which uh, we refer to as kind of a gateway product uh, for the for hunters to come into the line with the price point was right the story was absolutely incredible i mean this pair of pants is made of a durafila n66 high tenacity yarn which is longhand for tough as nails and this pair of pants really really delivered and you match that up with a lightweight, cool core shirt, and somebody's got gear to get them into their hunting season, even for preseason work. So we wanted to make sure that we had an offering for each part of the season. We also wanted to make sure that a customer could buy a couple pieces that would also carry them throughout the season so that they saw okay, if I make this investment in Numa, am I going to be able to wear this pair of pants one month during my hunting season, or am I going to be able to carry this from early season to mid-season and possibly into late? So we're looking to make sure that customers saw an advantage in making an investment in Numa that was going to pay off over time. So we focus, like I said, on some on base layers, mid layers, pair of pants, great lightweight hunting shirt, 
with cool core, and then our two suits, the Waypoint and the Selkirk, which were midweight suits, still are, but designed in such a way that you can layer them up to to meet the really tough hunting conditions of uh, late season and stay warm. So that's really where our focus was. Of course, hunters also expect, you know, a hat, which we delivered on several hats, a couple pairs of gloves, and we were set. We felt that we we felt that we had a real solid assortment to uh, to begin our journey with. Gotcha. So, my bad for skipping ahead, but going back yeah. even one step, as you guys started creating the garments, how long did you actually test them out in the field before launch? Over a year. Over a year. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. You know, there, one of the things that. Uh, I think some people are surprised at is the length of development time that it really takes for apparel to come to market. It's not the sort of thing where you can just call a manufacturer and say, you know, Hey, whip up X number of pairs of pants for us. And, you know, can you have them here in a few weeks? It doesn't work like that. You know, the factories, they, they take time to, to produce gear uh the lead time can sometimes be in excess of, of six months so initially the pieces that were produced were our two suits and base layers and the tenacity pant those those were the first to go into the field and they were truly tested all over the world by a select group of hunters and we listened to their feedback. Um, photography was also a big, a big part of it. We had to make sure from distances, you know, how, how is the pattern working? And that also gave us the, uh, the feedback necessary to revise the pattern until we arrived at the pattern we have today. So the testing was really, really critical. Then you go back and you make your changes with the factory. You get new samples made. You finally see a production sample. Uh, That's worn extensively. And then you make the call proceed with the factory. And then it can take, like I said, six to eight months before that that gear is made and it's in the warehouse and ready to be sold. Gotcha. Yeah. One thing that always intrigues me is the camo pattern itself, right? I mean, there's so, so many different patterns out there that claim so many different things. How did you guys start this off that the, the camo pattern discussion started off and get to the point where you're happy with what the outcome was on that? Patterns are, there's like you were saying, there are so many out there today. But I think one of the great things that has happened has been the development of the digital patterns. 
uh, in moving away from the traditional, you know, leaves and twigs. Because one of one of the things that we had seen with some of the traditional patterns is that while they might look good at three feet, and by that I mean the customer at a retail shop picking out a jacket or a pair of pants and holding holding it in front of them and say, oh, this is going to work. Okay, but one of the problems with that is that you're not really giving it a test where it matters most. And that's going to be at 20 yards, at 40 yards, at 60, 100 yards or more. And that's where you really see the true effectiveness of a pattern. And a lot of times those darker patterns that had natural elements integrated into the design, the further you moved away, the, you became essentially a blob, a dark blob that did not look natural to to the game. You know, if you're if you're a whitetail hunter and you're 25 feet off the ground. And a deer is familiar with with their territory. They look up into that tree and, hey, that blob wasn't there before. And all of a sudden, they're on high alert or they're gone, right? So when we developed the Terra pattern, the goal was really to have a very strong chameleon factor, but also to make sure that the pattern had both the right color and dimension at the yardages or the distances that I happened to mention. So we had, we have a pattern that has a lot of natural tones and colors in it. It's in very sharp contrast to what we call the fissures, which is the black lines that run throughout the pattern. And so as you tend to look at the pattern from greater distances, the pattern holds. And you've got that depth. You've got that color, which is associated. It's part of nature. And hence the effectiveness of the, of the pattern at, at great distances. So whenever anybody's judging a pattern, you just can't do it in the store at three feet and say, this is going to work. Right, right. And that's the one thing that I've noticed, uh, especially from a marketing standpoint, uh, when it comes to camouflage is back in the day and even sometime, you know, even today, some of the, the more classical camouflage patterns, all their marketing is in a tree at eye level with, with, right. the, with the, um, the hunter. Well, now, yeah. if you change that angle and the and you're down at 20, 30, 40 yards and you're looking up at the tree, that guy becomes a big, dark blob in the tree like you were mentioning. And so it sounds like you guys were trying, you know, at a distance, certain camel patterns become a blob. What you're trying to, what you guys were trying to accomplish was at a distance, y- you guys kind of just fade away. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, well, fade away or fade in, yeah. you know, to, to what's around you. And, you know, we've all seen the ads, right? The, the print ads, the television ads where somebody is 
concealed against well anybody can find the perfect setup if you look if you look long and hard enough to make your camouflage pattern just blend in it's like that scene from rambo right where he's, <laughs> yeah. where he's tucked into the, into the red clay mud and all of a sudden appears out of there well like that's what location scouts are for when it comes to television production and uh, and photography production, you can you can always hide, but like you said, it's not realistic because you move that person ten feet away from that one particular spot, and hey, they they might not disappear all that well, or they they become that blob that that, that we were talking about. So it. Um, we do get questions about the pattern and the universality of the pattern, but a lot of those questions after they're answered, you know, we get emails or phone calls back from these customers saying, you know what, you're right. This thing does really work. And we're thrilled obviously when that happens, because that means that that person is going to go out and tell their buddies. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Now, not necessarily from a spot and stock because that I'm not experienced in in the spot and stock type hunting, but I am fairly experienced in sitting in a tree stand. And yep. for for a tree stand hunter, my personal opinion is if you have to rely on your camel pattern while you're in a tree stand, you've you've done something wrong. Like that's the, that's one of the last stands, you know, if a deer sees you move, it doesn't matter what camel pattern you're wearing. There's a good chance that deer's gone. Right. So, so, so I keep, I keep for me, I keep going back to what does the, what does the gear do for me? Right. What am I, what am I getting from the gear now? Kind of. Take, taking a step back, and I want to I want to get back to that comment particularly um, in a in a second. But as as you start selling, and as you start to hear real world feedback, not just your testers, but actual customers of your products start testing the products and they start using them. What kind of feedback were you getting from them initially? Uh, and was it good? Was it bad? Was it medium? Did it did it uh, lead to any um, innovation or changes of a product? Yes, to all of those. One one of the things, Dan, that we don't do, and this this was something that started day one with our launch. I was probably getting fifteen to twenty emails a day from people who were saying, "I want to test your gear." Well. The loose translation on that is send me free stuff, you know, and we don't like the idea of giving somebody product for free and having them do a review because as soon as it's free and it's in their hands, they're probably, they're probably inclined to say good things because it's free. And so to us, giving away gear to people who test products doesn't make sense. It's not real world. So 
What we did instead is that we have a field test report that every one of our customers can fill out on the website. And when they hit submit, that goes to me and to everybody else connected with NUMA. And people put a lot of time into filling out these field test reports. And they're not compensated in any way to do this. And so we asked them about their hunt, what the conditions were, what the temperatures were, what game were they after, what style of hunting, were they in a tree, were they stalking, you know, were they on horseback? You know, it, it could be anything, right? And we have them talk about what gear they wore, and then they rate it for us. And so when you're giving customers the opportunity to do that, you're getting the most honest feedback that you possibly can because these are people who made an investment in you. And now it's time to find out if that investment paid off. So fortunately, <laughs> the, you know, we get absolutely tremendous feedback, but we've also received feedback from people who might suggest, you know what? that pocket was a little tough to open or that um, the lining on the uh, interior of your mid-weight suits is a little bit difficult to get into when you're trying to put on a bunch of layers. Well, we listened to all of that. Now, can we act on all of it? No. Do, do we act on what we refer to as, as trends with comments, that if we hear something consistently, the alarm bell goes off and says, you know, we've really got to think this through. So here's, here's an example that with the uh, cut of the waypoint and the Selkirk jackets and the fleece lining that we had, if a customer was going into late season, there was sometimes situations that would come up where they would have difficulty slipping their arm through the jacket. Could they do it? Absolutely. Were they restricted in their movement? No, not at all. But they brought that to our attention, that layering could be easier. Well, that was pretty easily solved. And we took some taffeta and we, we placed that in the arm of the jackets. So now if you put your arm into the jacket, you just glide right through. And it makes the experience better of getting that jacket on and off. It's something that only takes a few seconds at the beginning and at the end of your day, right? But it's, it was important to our customers. And like I said, it all comes down to, to the experience. The, the other thing that people are always asking us about is, you know, tell me about the gear that's going to get me through the cold part of the season. People, people want to be warm. It's no fun being in a tree stand or on a mountain and you're freezing. Right. So 
that led to the creation of a new product, which was the, and is the heated core vest, which there are a lot of products out there, heated socks, heated gloves, heated jackets. But one of the things that was different about what we did with the heated core vest is that we brought the delivery of heat right to the body's core through a next to skin product and having the heating elements run across the chest, across the kidneys at the base of the neck, and also have that heat distributed by the fabric itself to the other parts of the core was a, a, it, it definitely met a request or a demand that we had from our customers and it gave us the opportunity to introduce a product that, as I said at the very beginning, has got to have a reason for being. And so that reason for being was, let's provide heat. Let's do it with a minimal amount of bulk because that product is only about a third of an inch thick. And without sleeves, it, it gives you complete freedom of movement in the field, but most importantly, it goes back to that initial goal, which was to provide warmth to the body's core. Because if your core isn't warm, you're gonna get yourself off of that mountain or you're gonna come up, come out of the tree. Right. So I got a question specifically about that, yeah. about that product, because anytime sure. you have to like, I say that I'm a minimalist when it comes to what I want to bring into the tree stand with me. At the same time, I bring in a, like a, a, an Ozonics with me, right? Uh, it's yep. another electrical device, right? And mm-hmm. and now I, the first thing that I think of is the battery, all right? This, this uh, heated core vest runs off of a battery. How much does that battery weigh and how long does it last? Well, it's one of the most common questions that we that we get. the The battery itself is about it's size wise. It's probably equal to about half of a deck of playing cards. Just chop that chop that deck of playing cards in half, and and that's what you got. Right up hand, the weight I could do a little multitasking here and try to pull that up on the website, but I'm not going not to do that right now. But, you know, is it heavy? No. Are you going to notice it when you're wearing the vest? Are you going to notice the additional weight? Absolutely not. And it just fits neatly into a little pocket in the vest. Now, Everybody wants greater battery performance, whether that's on their cell phone or whether that's in the battery for the heated core vest. We have manufacturer specifications and we have our own testing and we prefer to go with our own testing versus what a manufacturer tells us. It's a great guideline to start out with, but we we turned on a lot of vests. We, we charged a lot of batteries and we ran these things and, and tested them. So where we're coming out 
is that the battery on low heat, which delivers approximately 100 degrees of heat, that'll give you about five and a half hours of performance. So it's, it's an afternoon set. And then go, go back and recharge. Now, one of the things about e-commerce is that you know a lot about your consumer's behaviors and, and the buying behaviors. Well, we also know that 72% of our customers purchase an additional battery. And I think there's, there's a couple of reasons for that. One is very simple. People don't want to get, they don't want to be cold. Right? And then as you get, let's say, into the rut where all day sits become the norm for a lot of our customers, they can put that additional battery in their day pack, they can stick it in their pocket, and if they need to, at some point, they can very easily just swap that thing out during the course of their day. And it's also pretty easy to turn that vest on and off, too, because a lot of hunters find, okay, I don't need it during the middle of the day. Even when temperatures may rise just a few degrees, they have it on for the morning, they flip it back on for golden hour and for any other times throughout the day where they, you know, happen to get cold. And particularly with the tree stand hunters, let's face it, we're not moving around a whole lot to, to create our own heat up there. And if we are, <laughs> we've scared a bunch of deer away in the process, as opposed to the Western hunter or somebody, you know, who's moving across the prairie or up a mountain they're generating heat. And so do, do Western hunters purchase the heated core vest? Absolutely, they do. When they stop to glass or they're pinned down by an animal and things start to get cold, turn that vest on. Let it heat up. Let it warm you up. And then when it's time to get back on the move, a lot of, a lot of them just turn it off at that point and... They use it more selectively, I guess, is the way to describe that than a tree tree stand hunter might, which is more consistent. Right. So when it comes to a a new product, right? I I'm I do it. A lot of people I talk to do it. What is you know what is this like? What is this product similar to? So th the first two companies that pop into my head when we're talking about a a higher end type of camo is Sitka on the retail yep. side and Kuyu on the direct to the consumer on direct to consumer side. How right. does your product, you know, not only from a performance standpoint, but from a quality of material standpoint compare to products that maybe those two companies offer? It's interesting, again, because of the whole e-commerce thing, uh, the, the amount of data that we get. And we know how many searches there were this year, for example, of NUMA versus Kuyu and NUMA versus Sitka. So we know that people have put us into 
that category, and we're flattered by that. I mean, that's that's truly where we want to be. But at the same time, we are not Kuyu, and we are not Sitka. We don't make, for example, going over to the uh, Kuyu side of the of the comparison, we do not make our gear by the ounce. We are not lightweight mountain hunting gear. That's we feel that if we want to add features to our gear or we want to add a little more insulation that is going to enhance the performance of that piece of gear and create a better experience for the hunter, we're going to add that. And if it means that it's, it's a little heavier weight, well, we happen to feel that the extra effort that it's going to take to move with those additional ounces is going to be worth it to our customer. Is it going to be worth it to every hunter? No, but we're not trying to be all things to all people with, with our products. But when you, when you look at the, the two brands that you mentioned, plus Numa, I'd say that that is really the pinnacle of new fabric technology, new component technology. And in that regard, we're very, very similar. The big difference between us and Sitka is, <laughs> you know, just from a size standpoint, it's about $40 million a year. But the big difference is really in the pricing of of our products. One of the things when we came to market, again, creating our own destiny with our e-commerce company, is that we made a very conscious decision to eliminate the retail markup. So, and custom, you know, hunters are very familiar with this. You know, if company X sells a retailer a jacket for a hundred bucks, that retailer is going to take that jacket and mark it up 50, 75, a hundred, a hundred plus percent. And by eliminating that, We've priced our gear where we feel it's going to be best for the customer. And if it gives us an advantage in the marketplace, great. But there are also going to be going to be hunters out there who are going to say, oh, you know what, that's still way too expensive for me. Fine. It goes back to what we talked about earlier. There are no shortage of choices uh, for hunters when it comes to any of the gear that they want to purchase for their hunts. So the big difference, like I said, we don't make gear by the ounce. And from a pricing standpoint, are we less than Sitka? In most instances, yes. And if that's important to a customer, great. If it's not important to them and they you know, still want to purchase Sitka products, you know, that's fine. Do we want those people as customers? Of course, but they're exercising their right to choose. So that's, 
that's really what the the differences are. And you know, it, it was it was interesting a couple years ago. Uh, Jason Harrison introduced a uh, a new product during a streaming video that uh, I think it was it might have been a tent or a backpack or something, but it was it was done in August and a couple years ago and. So he took questions at the end of it and someone asked him, I think the questions were coming in through Twitter and somebody asked him when Kuyu was going to make gear for the tree stand hunter for whitetail hunters. And he gave the perfect answer that I think any marketer would have given if they you know, were in charge of their, their brand he said, it's not in our DNA to do that. And he said, anybody who's wearing Kuyu in a Midwest whitetail tree stand, he said, they're probably not making the best choice of gear. And I really admired that answer because, number one, he held on to exactly what his brand stood for. And that's lightweight mountain hunting gear. And whenever you position a product effectively, it's based on sacrifice. That this gear is going to be for this purpose, for this group of hunters, and we're gonna super serve that market. Right, right. That's cool. So, uh, so did, did that? Did that get to? Yeah, absolutely. To the answer. Yeah, it absolutely okay. did. Right. Absolutely it did. Now, you know, companies, you evolve or you die, right? So, right. And, and just like any um, any company, you get you have to keep changing uh, to to stay competitive in in any market that you're in. What what's on the horizon for for Numa? Uh, anything new that you can share with us? Any new uh, products? Uh, any new innovation or technology that you're going to be introducing into the the products? Yeah, <laughs> it's a lot of yes. It's one of the one of the great things now is that we're coming out of uh, our third season. Uh, we've had the opportunity to to work with new designers. We have a con we have constant contact with people who are manufacturing the newest in uh, technologically advanced fabrics. And so we have a team that does nothing but keep their eye on that corner of the world of, of making great great apparel, high-performance apparel. And there are always new innovations out there. But just because something is new doesn't make it applicable to your products or, again, to, to fulfill a need. But we have to sort, it's our job to sort through all that and say, you know what, here's an idea that is really, really smart. And so we look for ways to incorporate that te- technology into a product that that meets a, a specific need. So can I tell you exactly what's coming out? No, I, I just I, I can't do that. But if you look at some of the things that 
are of interest to hunters. A couple of them are, I want to stay dry, right? And there is an inherent issue with a lot of rain gear that that limits that limits the acceptability uh, or limits the performance of that rain gear in the field. And the most common thing that we hear about, uh, that we knew we'd hear about, is noise of wearing a jacket and a pant in rain, moving through tall tall grass and brush in in a rain suit. It's a pretty noisy experience. So how do you solve that? Well, you make it quiet. And that's a big challenge. And it's one that that we're looking at. And hopefully we're going to have a product out there that, that solves that issue. The other, the other issue with rain gear too, is that the colder it gets, what happens to it? It gets even noisier, right? And so if you're up on a tree and you go to full drop, it can sound like you're wearing a potato chip bag. And so the whole idea of being quiet with rain gear is it's an interest. It's an interesting thing, and we're not going to be the first folks who have taken that on. But we hope to come up with a solution for that that's going to be very, very innovative, and it's going to be something that uh, the marketplace hasn't seen before. Uh, the other thing, people want to stay warm, right? Well, we've taken care of the core. So, what are the other? parts of the body that people are concerned about when it comes to cold weather. Well, it's toes and it's fingers and it's ears. So without jumping into a bunch of me too products, we're going to do something to expand our success with keeping the hunters warm with battery, battery powered, uh, gear and we're going to look to solve those problems in a way that uh, they might not be familiar with right now so there yeah there's there's stuff out there and and it really it is exciting because like i said we've got a very talented group of designers and probably the guy who is at the he is at the top of the heap when it when it comes to designing apparel is our founder, Scott Schultz. I remember one of his designers referred to him as the Ralph Lauren of hunting gear. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know what? I don't think that was too far off, and I think Scott has earned that through you know his years in the industry and, and the gear that he has created and the innovations that he's responsible for. So when you work for a guy like that, and you work with a team like the team that we have. I love getting emails or phone calls that's, that include the words, what if? What if we did this? Or what if we use this? That's what makes this whole thing worthwhile when it comes to you know creating products that our customers are 
going to be excited about and they're going to read about it and think, okay, I've got, I've, I can use that product when I'm doing this. They have to be able to see themselves in that gear and in those scenarios. And if you check both of those boxes, you've, you know, you've done your job. Right. That's, that's pretty crazy because it, you know, for as long as I've been hunting, when I started hunting, I was that guy who used to wear, uh, as many hooded sweatshirts, like cotton hooded sweatshirts as I had around when it started getting cold. You know, when I was walking to my tree stand, I would be soaking wet with sweat, throw on like five or six hooded sweatshirts that moisture just stayed in there. I got extremely cold. And then, you know, it wasn't until recently, you know, I'd say the last five years I, you know, I got into, I had money, a little bit more money to throw around and and buy uh, some of this, this better clothing, which allowed me to stay more comfortable while in the tree stand and walking to and from, or, you know, even going out West and hiking up and down mountains. So, as technology changes, that's one thing I am of all the products is, is the clothing aspect of it. Because like if I just experienced a huge change over the last couple of years and as fast as technology is advancing, whether it's through NUMA or another company, like just that, that to me is pretty exciting because the more we can keep hunters comfortable the more hunters we can get out and to enjoy hunting and i think that actually is going to play a big role in hunter recruitment in the future well it's it's very true and first and foremost the issue that you brought up about hunting hunting recruitment that is (laughs) i mean that that is some real world stuff that the industry and all hunters have to deal with because the loss of the number of hunters, and I, I don't want to get too far off course here, but between 1982 and 2016, the U.S. hunting population dropped by five and a half million people. And right now, 55% of all hunters in the country are 45 years of age and older. And over the next 10 years, the baby boomers are going to age out of hunting. You know, it's organizations who you're quite familiar with QDMA and uh, Fish and Game taking, uh, taking notice of this issue that Within the next 10 years, we could lose 30% of hunters in this country. And as we lose those hunters, we lose the revenue that they spend on everything from licenses to gear. We lose donations to conservation organizations. Uh, Just the lack, you know, 30% drop in gear sales, you know, whether that's rifle scopes, rifles, knives, boots, apparel, whatever it happens to be, you know, the taxes and the money that's directed toward, toward con- conservation is going to be decreased at the same rate. 
So we all are touched by the whole idea of raising the next generation and introducing them to the outdoors and whether that's fishing, hunting, camping, whatever it happens to be. And that's critical. We're not trying to put a damper on that at all. I introduce my boys to hunting. You know, there are thousands, tens of thousands of hunters who, who do that same thing. But the problem is, is that if you're introducing a six to 10 year old to hunting right now, as great as that is, and as worthy as that is to do, we need hunters who right now will buy a license, buy gear and get out into the field. We can't wait 10, 15 years for that youngster to grow up. Not when 30% of the population is potentially going to drop out within the next 10 years. It's just the numbers don't, don't work together. And the other thing that as a parent, I know this, that after having introduced my boys at a, at a young age uh, to fishing and to hunting, it's kind of odd that these guys also choose to live their own lives and make their own decisions. You know, when basketball becomes important or track becomes important or it's theater or music, whatever it happens to be that uh, become more important in their lives than possibly hunting too. So there's no guarantee that every child who's introduced to the outdoors is going to hold on to that. So what we have to do is recruit hunters who or recruit people who want to hunt and we have a much better chance of retention with those folks. Because they're they're expressing that interest at an age where there's commitment and it's immediate revenue generation for the industry, but everybody needs a mentor, somebody who is sampling venison at a farmer's market who decides, okay, I want to hunt. What's their first step? Right. Yeah. That's a lot of good information there. Well, I tell you what, Mr. David Strandberg, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to hop on the podcast, uh, talk with us about NUMA, uh, how the, where the company came from, what it's doing, where it's going, and uh, thanks, for, uh, thanks for the info. Dan, it's been a pleasure, and I hope we get to do this again sometime. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, another week of podcasts in the books, the first real week of podcasts in 2019. Like I keep saying, I'm trying to build the momentum up even higher. I'm trying to get the excitement level at an all-time high. The Sportsman's Nation is growing. Tons of great content coming down the pipe in 2019. And like I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, uh, we got a film series potentially coming too. You know, there's a, a lot of ifs yet that need to be answered. But uh, if I can uh, if I can raise the money to make the films, man, I'm definitely going to do it. And I'm going to put out some bitchin' kick-ass films. And on top of that, 
huge shout out to Mr. David Strandberg for hopping on the podcast today and talking to us about NUMA, their gear, their history, and whatnot. Huge shout out to each and every one of you for taking time out of your day. And when you choose this podcast, man, that really means a lot. And I really thank you for that. Uh, really appreciate all the uh, all the time you guys spend listening to my dumbass and uh, and <laughs> so I don't know what to say except thank you. Huge shout out to all the partners of this podcast: Ozonics, Wasp, Lone Wolf, Deer Lab, Prime, Ripcord, Ozonics, and Hunter Safety Systems. Guys, without those companies supporting this podcast, this podcast would not happen. So please go out and support the companies that support this podcast. I would really appreciate that. If you have time, go to iTunes or wherever you download podcasts and leave a five-star review. That's helpful. And uh, spread the word. If uh, you ever see someone who's in in need of a really good hunting podcast, man, you need to check out you need to check out the Nine Finger Chronicles and check out all the content on the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, man. It's just it's it just keeps getting better. And other than that, I don't have too much to say. I want to wish you guys all a happy weekend and uh, man, more podcasts coming next week. And if you are winding down and you're still hunting and you're gonna be in a tree, our friends at Hunter Safety Systems are reminding us all to please wear your damn safety harness. Have a good weekend.